So there'll never be another first female conductor at the Met or another first performance of Carmen. Yet there are still plenty of ways to make Met history without being the first to do something. In today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, record-breaking Met moments that made history. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. I'm Stuart Holt, and it's always exciting to become a part of history. Charles Anthony still holds the record for the most appearances by an artist at the Metropolitan Opera, and Andre Luna sang a record-smashing A above high C. Yet there are still records to be broken by future generations. In today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, record-breaking Met moments that made history, with the Guild's very own Naomi Baratera. So I wanted to start today with talking about one of the historic moments that inspired this series. And so some of you probably, if you've glanced at the sheet or the handout, you might be able to guess what that first broken record was. And so this relates to what some people would say are sounds that only dogs can hear. And so we're talking about the highest note ever sung on the Met stage. Now... In 2009, we're going to do a little bit of uh, kind of building up to the moment. So in 2009, there was a very big moment uh, when there was a first record that was broken, and it was with Rochelle Gilmore. She was dropped in at the very last second into a performance of Olympia in Le Conte d'Offman by Offenbach. Uh, Originally, Kathleen Kim was cast to sing the role, and I think it was about four hours before the curtain rose. Kim pulled out because of illness, and Rochelle Gilmore was dropped in. She was the understudy. But at the time, she was, it, it was right around Christmas time when this happened. I think it was December 23rd or something like that when this performance actually happened. And so she tells this story that she was, you know, celebrating Christmas with her family and then got the call that she had to go to the Met and they were all in Queens. And so they had this horrible uh, traffic anxiety inducing trip across the Triborough Bridge and trying to, or from wherever they were, trying to get to Lincoln Center so she could sing the role. Now, weirdly, this is something where she sang it, she broke the record, she sang the highest note ever sung on the stage up to that point, and then she really didn't get any kind of notoriety for it until many years later when several people on the internet were in this kind of chat thread on a forum called Reddit, and they were trying to figure out who had ever sung the highest note, and then her name came up, and it just so happened that someone had bootlegged a video of this performance at the Met, which is what we are going to watch. So we're going to hear this moment. This was the highest note sung as of 2009. 
And so in this, she's actually a robot. She's a mechanical doll that her father inventor has made and he's showing her off to the public for the first time. She sings the aria as written for the first stanza and then when she repeats all of that musical material, it's very common for the singer to ornament the repeated section so that they can add all of these bells and whistles to kind of play into the story that the character is showing off what she can do, these kind of like extra human things that this robot doll can do. And Hoffman is wearing rose-colored glasses that have magical powers that when he sees her, he doesn't know that she's not human. He just falls in love with her and he's completely entranced. So in this video, she sings this highest note within the first little bit of this because I've cut it so that we're starting at the repeat when she starts ornamenting. And then I believe she sings it more than once throughout this clip.
highest note ever sung up until uh, the this season, which is when we had a record-breaking moment. So just to give you an idea of where this is on the piano, the note that Rochelle Gilmore sang is this one. It's an A-flat, two octaves above middle C. So she said, there's this great quote where she said, I was 28 at the time, living in Queens. It was two days before Christmas and my parents were in town visiting. I really did only have four hours notice and we all took a ride across the Triborough Bridge in rush hour traffic to get me into the makeup chair in time. My parents actually got to see the performance, which was my Met debut, and is, still is really special to me. Also, the reactions of the people in the chorus behind me, as I was told by several of them personally afterwards backstage, were actually genuine. It was terrifying and a thrilling night. So, this season, the record was broken with a higher note sung by Audrey Luna in The Exterminating Angel, and she actually surpassed it by one semitone. So what we're talking about, if this is our highest note, with Gilmore, this is Audrey Luna. How many of you saw The Tempest by Thomas Addis when it was here several seasons ago? A few people. All right, so there was one little bit in The Tempest where this was where Luna lives in that high register and she actually sings a G, uh, which is one semitone below what Gilmore sang. And when you listen to it, you think, oh my goodness, it sounds like a mosquito. Um, but it was one point in the opera where it, it's close to this, but this was the highest note that, she had, that Luna had sung uh, before this season. And this is so just about 30 seconds so you can hear this moment. So, and she actually says of this moment, I love that scene because it's the moment that Prospero is telling me to go down there and buzz around all the people, the travelers that have arrived on the island, like a mosquito. And then she says, but seriously, I do sound like a mosquito there, don't I? <laughs> so then in the Exterminating Angel, in the opening scene of Exterminating Angel this season, she surpasses that note, that you, the highest note you heard in that clip, by a whole semitone, which is half a semitone higher than what Gilmore sang. So all within this very tight span. Now, the clip that I have for you again is maybe 10 seconds long, and it goes by really quickly, so you can hardly even distinguish the pitch, but it's actually there. So I thought instead of playing you a very long scene, which might seem slightly torturous to some, we would just graze that highest note and to get a little tiny taste of it. So here it is, uh, a high A above high C, sung by Audrey Luna in The Exterminating Angel. <laughs> catch it? Yeah, <laughs> that's enough for most people. <laughs> okay, so that's the highest note ever sung. And I found this really interesting stat that the Met posted on social media that they said that if she held that note for one second, her vocal cords would have vibrated 1,760 times, which I just think is crazy. So it's amazing, but uh, not something that I will ever do in my lifetime. And I was reading a little bit 
interviews with Audrey Luna and she says, you know, I didn't really realize this was such a like a special skill that I had until I was a lot older and I realized that not every soprano can actually sing up there. And so she indeed is some of one of the only people uh, actively singing an opera that can actually hit those notes. These high notes are in the music and for especially for Exterminating Angel, I went through and I found it in the score to make sure it was there. I also went through and looked in the Tempest and those notes in that moment with Prospero are there. Uh, the one that's not in the score is the Gilmore one in Olympia's Doll Song. That is an improvised ornament. I'm quite sure, although don't quote me on this, that this is probably the highest note written for a soprano to sing in an opera. But that I would have to really scrape the records to be 100% sure, because uh, you're talking about all of opera history here, not just the Met, if you're going with that record. So on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, what is the lowest note ever sung on the Met stage? I have no idea. So <laughs> this was a record that I thought, well, if I'm going to talk about the highest note, I have to talk about the lowest note. And I went looking everywhere, and no one's ever really reported this particular statistic in any way. So I'm not really sure what the lowest note is ever sung on the Met stage. So that's something that if you ever find out, let me know, because it would be a great statistic to add to the story. Now, how many of you have been on a backstage tour of the Met Opera House before? All right, I know we have a, a tour guide or two in the room. So you might know the answer to this particular trivia question without looking at your handout. But what is the Met production that takes up the most storage space? Do we have any guesses? Turindo? The Ring? Aida? You're in the ballpark with Puccini, but just not the right opera. It's actually the production that's in the repertory of Il Tritico. So whenever something is not on stage at the Met, when it's not currently being either rehearsed or performed, all of that set and costumes and all of the pieces, the props, they all have to go somewhere. Actually, the sea level, which is the basement storage area, can only really hold three to four operas at a time if you're lucky. So what they do is they have storage facilities out in New Jersey and I think in the Bronx. I don't know if they still have it in the Bronx, but they pack up the production into 40-foot storage containers and they truck them all the way out to New Jersey to be stored. And then when an opera comes back into the repertory, all of that scenery has to come back in again. So just getting everything in and out of the Met is like a full-time uh, job and concern for one of the departments. And one of the reasons why this one is so big is because what looks like a whole boat on stage, so the Il Tabaro boat, is uh, quite large. And it was actually built inside the Met building in the carpentry shop there. And so if you go on a backstage tour, I believe in the carpentry shop, you'll pass by a really great photo. When they finished this boat, all of the crew stood around the boat and they took a big photo to kind of commemorate because it was one of the largest things that they had built in the, in the workshop at that point. So this is one of the reasons why uh, it's such, it takes up so much space in storage. The second largest production in the Met repertory is actually Turandot. So this takes up 20 to 22 pods, the Zeffirelli production. The Il Tritico, I believe, was designed by Jack O'Brien. 
Turin Dot. This production's by Zeffirelli. And so each storage pod's 40 feet long. And when you see a clip of Turin Dot, or if you've seen it in person, you probably understand why it takes up so much space and storage. As I was watching this, it got me thinking, well, I wonder who sung the most performances of Princess Turandot in Met history, because it's not an easy role, and it's not a role that you see singers staying in for long, long periods of time. So as I dug into this, the answer, once I saw the name, I thought, oh, well, of course. So any guesses who that person is? Birgit Nielsen, that's right. And this is an anniversary year for her. I believe it's like the 100th anniversary or her 100th birthday or would have been her 100th birthday. Yes, 1918. About a month ago, I was in Sweden doing dissertation research and I went and visited the Royal Swedish Opera and they had this wonderful exhibition all about Birgit Nielsen in celebration of her 100th birthday. And so if you look at how many times she sang, at the Met. Uh, she sang all of her performances of uh, this particular role between 1961 and 1970. So setting a record in only nine years. She sang it on average uh, six times per season. One source said that she sang this role 52 times. Another source said she sang it 54 times. So it's somewhere in that, in that span. And she actually sang 16 different roles the whole time she was at the Met. And in terms of other singers who did this, just to kind of draw some comparisons, Maria Yeritsa was one of the very first interpreters of Princess Turandot at the Met. She sang her first Turandot in 1926. Then she kind of dominated the role there for uh, four or five years. She sang it 23 out of the first 27 performances of this opera at the Met. And then her last Turandot took place in 1930. Then Nilsen uh, was kind of the next one to set the record. Uh, Eleanor Ross sang this role 16 times. Abram Martin sang it 11 times. Gaina Dimitrova sang it 28 times. Gwyneth Jones sang it 16 times. Jane Eaglin sang it 15 times. Andrea Gruber sang it 26 times. And Maria Gulagina sang it 15 times. And then if you look at singers that have sung the role recently, Nina Stemme, Martina Serafin, Oksana Dika, and Lise Lindstrom, they've all sang it 10 times or less. So to give you an idea how that kind of stacks up against some of these other singers. There is, of course, a really famous recording of Nielsen singing this with Franco Corelli as her Prince Caliph. So we're going to watch a little bit of that. And just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, record info on Franco Corelli, he made his Met debut with Leontine Price and Il Trovatore in 1961. In total, in his whole career at the Met, he sang 365 performances spread across 19 different roles. And he actually holds the Met record in three roles. So he sung the most Maurizios in Adriana Lecovre, the most Verters and Caliphs, which he sang with Nielsen. And so that gives you an idea of the records that he holds. Here they are, and this is from uh, 1971 at the Macarata Opera Festival with the Teatro dell'Opera in Roma. So give you a sense of where it came from.
Amazing. I get goosebumps when I listen to this clip. Princess Turandot is the kind of role where it's incredibly difficult. It's very, very high. As you heard in this clip, so much of what she sings lives in that tessitura, but you need a voice that's bigger and has more power than a voice that would be singing like the Queen of the Night or Rosina or something like that, right? You need a you you need something bigger and heavier than a lyrical sound. And so Birgit Nielsen sang a lot of Wagner at the Met. She made her Met debut singing Isolde, but then really set a record with this particular role because she had the power and she had the high notes, right? So when you put, you need the two. If you don't have the two, then sometimes it will sound like Princess Turandot is just getting drowned by the orchestra, right? Because the orchestra is so big. This kind of gets us into the territory of role records. And so there's this wonderful collection, which I don't think it's in print anymore. And my copy of it, you can see, is rather banged up. I actually hold it together in my backpack with hair elastics. And um, so it's called Met Record Breakers, Great Artists Who Set the Standards. If you can ever find this, it is something to snap up as soon as you find it. It's actually produced by the Metropolitan Opera Guild when the Metropolitan Opera Guild used to own the Met Opera Shop, which they no longer do, but some of you might remember this era. And when the Met Opera Guild owned the Met Opera Shop, they produced a lot of their own recordings to sell in the shop. And so this is actually, this whole collection was produced by Paul Gruber, who is still here at the Met Opera Guild. And what this does is essentially there's 40 different recordings on here featuring 40 different singers that all set some kind of role, role record in one way or the other. And so the little booklet inside is one of the greatest wealths of knowledge in terms of uh, Met Opera Guinness book of Met Opera Records, right? This is the closest thing I could find to something that really just goes through and talks about some of these singers who broke all of these amazing records or set records in history of the Met. Obviously, I don't have time to play all 40 of them for you and tell you about all 40 of them. So I picked a few of my favorites after I listened through and researched different things. And so the first one I wanted to show you was uh, Lily Pons. Uh, because I do really love Lily Pons. And so she was, singer was born in France, of Franco-Italian heritage. She began her career in a comedy troupe. Then the story goes that she married a very wealthy attorney, which meant that her opera career actually started kind of late. She was already in her 30s when she made her Met debut in Lucia de Lammermoor. And, but in, even though she started late at the Met, so to speak, she made up for lost time. She sang 300 Met performances between 1931 and 1958. Lucia was her first, her last, and her most frequent role. She sang it 93 times, so she holds the record for the most Lucias. But she also holds the company record for singing the most in Deliba's Lakme, which she sang 41 times. And seeing as Lakme almost never comes up on the season, I highly doubt that that record will be broken anytime soon. So I thought we would listen to a little bit of Lakme because it's a clip that we don't really get the chance to listen to very often. And this particular aria, the bell song, she also sang it in a movie, I Dream Too Much, you might remember. And there's some video footage of her doing that on YouTube. But this was better uh, sound quality, so this is just an audio of her. And we'll listen to a minute or two so you can hear 
that gorgeous sound. So this is Lily Pons singing the bell song.
beautiful. She just floats around. When I listened to this for the first time, I thought, oh, she makes it sound so easy. <laughs> now, we definitely don't have time to go through all of these. So does anyone have a singer that they would either like to hear their record or if I have it prepped up here in my list, a clip, we can listen to them. But you have a very good chance that if you request a singer, they're going to be on this list so I can tell you what their records are. Is there any singer you're dying to know about? Yes. Leonard Warren. Leonard Warren. All right. He's right up in my next slide here for you. So he was another uh, favorite that I picked. So baritone Leonard Warren, native New Yorker. He was actually singing in the Radio City Music Hall Chorus before he won the Metropolitan Opera auditions on the air in 1937. Then a year later, he made his Met debut as Paolo and Simon Bocanegra. And his career at the Met lasted 22 seasons. And he sang 654 performances and he actually holds the record for singing the most Iagos in Otello. He's actually sadly very famous for being one of a handful of deaths on the Met stage because he actually passed away during a performance of La Forza del Destino and so I think they had to have the curtain fall. I think they got into act two and in act two he had some kind of hemorrhage on stage and it was at a moment where his character was supposed to kind of turn around and go silent and then another character was supposed to come and say something to him and wait for a response and so that person came and sang and waited for a response and nothing happened and then they kind of signaled the prompter and then there was a quick like drop the curtain drop the curtain and so they dropped the curtain and he actually died on the stage at the Met. And so that is something that he's not the only person to ever die at the Met, so he doesn't hold that particular record. <laughs> uh, but it is something that was such a tragic event, and a lot of the audience stayed to find out if he would survive or not, and they didn't actually finish the opera. And so they only, the curtain dropped, and they didn't get the understudy in or anything like that. He was also very famous for singing uh, Rigoletto. People call him the perfect Rigoletto, and he sang the role 89 times at the Met. And actually, his last performance of Rigoletto with the Met was in my home area in Toronto, Canada, at Maple Leaf Gardens when the Met was on tour there in 1959. So that's the last time he sang Rigoletto. He sang a lot of Verdi, but he also sang some other smaller roles in Boris Gudanov. He sang a small role in Lohengrin. He sang Valentin in Faust, and he actually sang several Eskimios in Carmen. So I found of him, because I was ready to play a clip of Leonard Warren for you, there's actually, when I started researching this, there's not a lot of video of him singing Verdi. There's lots of recordings, audio, but there's not a whole lot of video. And so this is one recording that we do have of him singing Verdi, a video recording. And this is an excerpt from Unballo in Mascara from 
I know there's a lot more singers listed than what we 
could talk about, but I'm going to skip over to Leontine Price, one of the great and most popular singers of color to really make a huge career and sang a lot at the Met. And something that she holds the record for is that she actually opened the house at Lincoln Center, right, in 1966 when the new opera house was built. And so I actually found this great little snippet of an interview with her and I believe that it's from the the film The Opera House which some of you might have seen. So this is about a minute and a half of her talking about her experiences when she was asked to create the role, one of the leading roles in Samuel Barber's Anthony and Cleopatra. She's saying Cleopatra. We can hear a little bit from Leontine herself about that experience. I went into what I call the inner sanctum of opera. This is still the old house downtown. And I, I thought, I wonder what this is about, you know, because the plans for the new fabulous house were being, uh, uh, shall we say, choreographed at that time. I, I didn't know anything about it. But Mr. Bing said, Leontine, we have a bit of news for you. You have been chosen by us and by Samuel Barber to open the new Metropolitan Opera House. I, I thought I was going to die. I did a sort of a, so what else is new? Look, we didn't go down. Are you kidding me? And I don't know. Now Laura really set in. Mama and Daddy really set in. Everything, all my teachers said in, I thought, okay. Because the whole point was for it to be an all-American occasion. That whole year, I dedicated myself to living almost like a nun. I did nothing that would possibly interfere with my being at my total, complete best. I was just so determined that I was going to do my country proud. I want to talk about some of the really, really skyrocketing records. So starting at the top and working our way down, the soprano with the most Met performances in the history of the company. Any guesses? I would have never gotten this. It is Thelma Votipka. <laughs> She sang 1,422 performances between 1935 and 1936. I could not find a great recording to share with you, so we won't listen to her, but she holds the record, and I bet it will be pretty hard to beat. The mezzo-soprano with the most Met performances in history. It is Marie Matfeld with 900 performances between 1901 and 1927. Our tenor, there's a lot more available related to his recorded history. Any guesses of the tenor with the most met performances? He's quite dashing looking. Charles Anthony at 2,928 performances. And so he also holds the record for the singer with the most Met performances in history. So that's, you know, over 2,900 is quite a, a lot, and he definitely holds the top spot. 
What about the baritone with the most Met performances in history? This person I did not know much about and could not find a picture, but the first thing I found was a picture of one of his pay stubs. George uh, Chehanovsky, I guess, is how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. But 2,594 performances. And then next is bass baritone. The bass baritone with the most Met performances in history. Not Paul Plushka. James Courtney with 1,933. However, technically, according to the Met archives, Paul Plushka is the bass with the most Met performances in history. Now, this fact, the Met production that brought the highest number of people on the stage at one time, and also is the largest cast in Met opera history. War and Peace. It is Prokofiev's War and Peace. Yes. So this, I pulled a few pictures. Again, this is one of those productions that I really, really wish there was video footage of it. And I believe that Nitrebko and Havorostovsky sang it together at the Met. And so I believe so. And so, but there's no video footage of that. Here's a few pictures of it just to try and give you a sense of the scale of people. Apparently, they had to do a lot of training of the supernumeraries in the, in the extras in the army. And in terms of the actual numbers, 347 people on stage at one time. The number of leading roles is actually crazy. It's in the double digits of how many leading roles there are in it. And then there's choristers, there's dancers, and also it's 347 plus one horse on stage at one time. So that is our War and Peace record. And there's a great story that uh, one of my colleagues tells that said that they remember when they were rehearsing War and Peace because they had so many people in the opera house that were not used to being there and didn't know their way around, they had to put pieces of paper on the walls that would say like re retreating French soldiers and then arrows like directing them where they needed to go because they all kind of have to rush off stage, right? And th all those people have to go somewhere. And so they would make little maps and kind of um, almost like, like a Hansel and Gretel bread trail in signs for the different armies to follow as they were retreating to the bowels of the building just to get off stage. Now, if we count down our top 10 most performed operas on the Met stage, we're not going to watch clips of them all, but to go from 10 all the way up to the number one. Number 10 is Cavalleria Rusticana with 689 performances. Number nine is Pagliacci. It should come as no surprise because they're usually paired together, although it has 731 performances, and so there's a different number. They're not always paired together in Met history, and so it's kind of interesting to poke around the archives online database to see what other operas these have been paired with. Faust is number eight by Gounod with 753. Madama Butterfly is number seven with 868. Rigoletto is number six at 885. Do we have any guesses for what number five is? Aida, Carmen, Boheme. All very good guesses and in the ballpark, but it's actually Tosca with 950 and right on its heels someone already guessed this one is Carmen 
breaking 1,000 with 1,010 performances. And then number three, does anyone want to guess number three? Traviata, great guess. It is with 1,011 performances. Aida, which has already been guessed, is number two with 1,162. Then number one, Labo M, yes. Now this is a record that I found very interesting and I had no idea but was very impressive. Who is the youngest singer ever to win the Metropolitan Opera National Council audition? It is very recent. Our winner is Nadine Sierra. She won the 2009 National Council audition at age 20, which I think is incredible. To give you a sense of Nadine Sierra, I have a little video that I thought would be fun to share. Opera News, our colleagues in the office with us here at the Guild, they make some videos that are interview videos with singers called Take Five, where they get to ask them five questions and they get to hear from the singer. And it also, her answers tie in really nicely with La Boheme being our number one most often performed opera at the Met. So here is an opportunity to get to know Nadine Sierra a little bit better in her own words. My first exposure to opera was when I was 10 years old. I watched the 1982 production of La Boheme at the Met. It was on a VHS tape that my mother took from the library and we actually never returned it. So we kind of stole it from the library because um, I, I kept watching it over and over and over again. Um, just totally obsessed. I actually think something happened to that VHS at some point. It kind of broke and we had to take it to a person to fix it. Like that's how much I watched that tape. And I know that we still have it as well. Uh, it just hooked me, it just really got me. Um, and still today, whenever I watch that particular uh, production with Stratus and Carreras, I still cry um, like a baby because it just has so many fond memories. Um, she kind of reminds me of me when I was a child. I kind of did whatever I wanted to, too, um, even though I was very innocent and in some ways was submissive to my parents' demands, but if I wanted to experience something in life, I would go and do it. And she feels so strongly about loving the Duke that she gives up her own life for him. It's just, <laughs> she's like probably the most rebellious teenager out of all of the opera girls I can think of besides maybe Juliette who's even more rebellious. Um, and people say that, you know, Jill is stupid and she has no courage, she has... No, I, I totally think that that's incorrect. It takes a lot of courage to allow somebody to stab you to death. For a boy. For a guy. The way I deal with the pressures of all of these debuts is I try not to think of them as being my first time performing certain roles. I just try to enjoy performing these roles, period. Um, 
That's why I love opera. That's why I still love it. It's because I can still go on stage and just perform and kind of play. It's like, like when I was a kid playing dress up. I still feel like that today. Like I'm an adult who can play dress up for a living, which I, <laughs> I just adore it. Definitely Paris. Paris stole my heart. And that is so cliche and so <laughs> typical. But God, they just have everything in Paris. It's like New York in a way, you know, they have the history and the fashion and the food and the people. Um, but Paris just, God, I don't know what it is. It could be the French language. Could be all those damn croissants that are so good. I don't know, it's just the life there is is so bohemian in a way. Um, kind of like opera. Opera, this lifestyle we lead, it's, it is a bohemian lifestyle. Constantly traveling and sacrificing for your art. Uh, the role I would love to do someday is actually Mimi from La Boheme. And I, I think this goes back to when I was a child, first watching La Boheme, falling absolutely in love with the opera, as well as the singers singing in the opera, and falling in love with the, this character, Mimi. Um, she's such a selfless person and very poetic in everything that she says and does. And even when she's dying in the last act, she's still happy. She's still lovely and um, kind of without, without any uh, malice or, or pity for herself. She's just pure. She's a pure person, beautiful person. And not to mention the music is, I mean, phenomenal. So she would be someone I would love to play someday. All right, our last statistic is going to bring us, our last broken record will bring us full circle back to this season. So who is the singer with the highest number of Met Live in HD performances in a single season? And that is the very luminous Sonia Yoncheva. So she was broadcast live in HD three times this past season. And so it's something that really came about. She wouldn't have made this particular record unless all of that kind of casting shifting got put into motion. So she was already scheduled to sing La Nazi di Figaro. And then the whole cast of Tosca had to be replaced, basically, if you remember this past season. And so, but in order to make it possible for her to sing Tosca, they had to take her out of Figaro. So that's when Eileen Perez got dropped in as the Countess in Figaro. And then that allowed her to sing Tosca, which became her third uh, live in HD, or would total to be three live in HD broadcasts. The other two were actually La Boheme, and Louisa Miller. We don't have time to watch all three of these, but let's take votes for what one we want to see. Hands up for Bohem, uh, hands up for Tosca, and Louisa Miller, I think, wins. Okay, here we go, a clip of her in Louisa Miller. 
That was Naomi Baratera with a shattering list of record-breaking moments throughout Met history. We'd like to thank all our podcast listeners who helped us make our own history when we reached half a million individual listens before our 100th episode. For a full listing of programs, lectures, and events, visit us at metguild.org. I'm Stuart Holt. Thank you so much for listening.